Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Tales podcast, the show where we talk about Texas history and enjoy ourselves a cocktail or two. I'm Ryan. And this is Tracy. Why don't you pour yourself a drink and join us for what we're sure will be a stimulating, partially factual Tales About Texas. In today's episode, we discuss an invasion of Europe in the 1880s. But Ryan, isn't this a Texas history podcast? Au contraire, mon frere. We will also be talking about the man from Denison, Texas, who was destined to save the French wine industry. Grab yourself your favorite glass of Becker Vineyards Vino and join us as we go through today's tale. Question. Hey man, where'd you get that sweet Texas swag? Answer. Independence Trail Retail Company. Independence Trail Retail Company is a premium brand retail company headquartered in Houston, Texas. Our faith, along with our heritage, are at the core of who we are as a company. Guided by these core values, we aim to provide high-quality products that tell a story and testify to the richness of our shared history as Texans. Over time, we will continue to add quality products in a wide range of categories that will include men's and women's apparel, glassware, leather goods, decor, and accessories. For now, go check out the website at www.independencetrailretail.com and treat yourself to some sweet Texas swag. So I'm really fascinated by this story. And I came across this and really didn't know much about it. But once I kind of got more and more into it, I kept thinking about There's certain moments in history and in human existence when you just feel like somebody was destined to be at a specific moment in time doing a certain thing and being able to actually provide a solution, being able to actually contribute to that moment in time. Yeah, like that was the time that they could actually lean in. It was the right time, the right person. And they made a difference. Yeah, and they were of like a certain, like a high enough clout or they had enough experience or whatever it was. Like they were able to actually provide some type of solution or expertise to that moment. And today's story is exactly that. Like once I found out about this, I couldn't stop researching it. I went through several different articles and there's a lot of really good articles that are out there. Forbes did an article on this. Texas Highways did an article on this, and there's numerous other ones. There's even a book written about this individual that we're talking about today. It's really, really fascinating and something that I am super pumped to talk about. So in the 1880s, the entire European continent was under attack, but this wasn't the typical attack that countries in Europe had grown accustomed to. This particular invasion was targeted at the grapevines of every country in Europe and had decimated millions of acres of vineyards and brought the wine industry in Europe to its knees. Whoa. This ruthless and relentless attack on the vineyards of Europe was perpetrated by a little-known thing called phylloxera. Damn phylloxera. Yeah, so if we had like access to sound effects, this is where we'd be like, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, so phylloxera, I had no idea what this was. I it, I thought it was just some little mean... Gotta be a little bug. I thought it was like a little a mean little European guy. Yeah. He was like running around, running crazy. But it wasn't, right? It's a little bug. So phylloxera is an insect 
and a pest, apparently, of commercial grapevines worldwide. And what's interesting is it's originally native to North America. The interesting point to make here is that because it was prevalent in North America, North American plants, specifically grapevines, grew accustomed to it or hardier because of it right they were immune they adapted they were immune to this specific bug okay and this specific bug essentially would destroy grapevines by attacking their root systems Hmm. and what they do is they go in they eat at the root systems of these vines and then over the course of like a year or two those vines just essentially die so what's interesting about this story is Europe was suffering from a mildew infestation in like the 1860s, okay? And so their solution to that problem was to ship in some North American rootstock that they basically were going to graft with the plants, the grapevines in Europe, to basically solve that problem, to make that strain of grapevines hardier and more resistant to the mildew issue. Okay. And so grafting is like a horticultural procedure or technique That's done when you basically put the top of a plant onto a root system of another plant. And the root system essentially makes that plant more resistant to diseases and bugs and things like that. And so the idea was that they were going to graft these plants in attempt to stave off or to fight against the mildew problem they were having in Europe at the time. And the reason for that is because the North American plants were already more resistant to the mildew. This is how phylloxera got to Europe. Okay, so phylloxera is running rampant in North America. Europe has a problem at this point in the 1860s of a mildew problem with their grapevines. So the answer to that is that they're going to ship this rootstock from North America that they believe will be the answer to providing a more resilient grapevine in Europe to fight or stave off mildew. It's really ironic that they do this because ultimately, once those plants are introduced to the agriculture in Europe, specifically in southern France at that time, they are also introducing phylloxera, which they didn't know. Unintended consequences. Yes. It's this thing that nobody knew was even an issue up to this point. And the phylloxera slowly but surely starts to eat its way through France, through the rest of Europe. And is just killing these rootstocks. So the solution ended up becoming the problem. Yes. Ultimately, the phylloxera destroys two-thirds of the continent's vineyards, including most of France, Spain, Italy, Switzerland, and Germany. It literally rolls over Europe like the plague. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it does. It's only in a matter of less than 20 years or so. I know that's a very short amount of time. Right. But phylloxera is over that 20-year span just decimating the wine crops in Europe? Two-thirds of the wine crops in Europe. This is a major industry. Phylloxera takes one to two years, essentially, for the grapevine to die. So it attacks the root system. The grapevine essentially will die over those one or two years. And then the phylloxera essentially just keeps moving on and on and on. So it's not an immediate. No. So it seems like it would be really hard to pinpoint what's causing this problem. Yes, it would be. And it's also very interesting to me because it's not like you plant a grapevine today and then you have grapes next month. Right. It takes time for the grapevines to establish themselves before they can even actually produce grapes that are, one, usable. And then two, a lot of like the really good wine is on old vine. And those are vines or grapevines that have been around for 30 plus years. So you're really, I mean, this is attacking the source of income 
for this entire industry. And you're right. It's got to be something that's difficult to pinpoint, especially if they weren't familiar with it at the time. But I believe it was traced back and they were able to say, okay, wait, this is what changed. This is kind of the origin of what happened, the time period. What could this be? And then somebody put together, basically, I think it was like French botanists. They were like, it's got to be phylloxera. Like it runs rampant in the in North America. We apparently just weren't exposed Dummies, to y'all it. introduced it into the environment. Right. And it was just one of those things where all of a sudden now it's an epidemic. Okay. Okay. So obviously something has to be done and it has to be done fast. So France specifically spearheaded attempts to get to the bottom of what the problem was and then also kind of to source like a solution for it. We are really treading into waters that I know nothing about. Well, and I promise we're going to get to Texas history. I mean, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, so I'm really just trying to lay the groundwork here. I'm kind of sitting here waiting to like interject with something smart, and I've got nothing. Well, it's it's very fascinating stuff. So Horticulture, phylloxera. Right. Essentially, the whole reason for me saying this is that there is a really, really big problem going on in Europe. It's affecting a global industry. Mm-hmm. This is something that today is billions of dollars in, in revenue. Back then, it's still very, very big. And it's been around for, you know, in Europe, it's been around, wine's been around for centuries. So, I mean, this is a very big deal. And so they need to basically solve this or they will no longer have wine. Can you imagine not having your favorite cab or your favorite Chardonnay at your dinner table? No, I cannot imagine having my favorite box of wine available <laughs> to me at any time. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit above what we would typically <laughs> drink. However, there are some very nice wines coming out of Europe that we would no longer be able to be oblivious to or ignorant of had this individual that we're going to talk about next not been able to step in. Awesome. Okay. So that's what's going on in Europe. France is now basically going to send French botanists to North America to try and source a native plant that they can use the root system of to graft and to solve the phylloxera issue. Now, what's interesting here is they had two attempts to do this. The first attempt, they thought they found something that would work. They ultimately took it back to France. They grafted it. Turns out that it wouldn't take because of the French soil. So apparently French soil is high in limestone and it's got a lot, it's a very chalky. And so it needs to be like not only a phylloxera resistant strain of grapevine, but it also needs to be able to grow in that specific soil of France. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine that. So now we talk about our man T.V. Munson. His name is T.V.? T.V. Like, I like it. Like television, only not. Yeah. Mr. T.V. Munson was born in Illinois and went to school at Kentucky A&M. Growing up on a farm, Munson was interested in improving grapes and would ultimately dedicate his life to experimenting with different grape hybrids. And he ultimately wrote, this is a quote from Mr. T.V. Munson. So as eventually to supply every use in every season with the most beautiful, most wholesome and nutritious, most certain and profitable fruit. This fella loved him some grapes. He loved grapes. Can you imagine? Your life is dedicated to grapes. To grapes, bro. I mean, good for him. But like, I can't imagine. Very different than myself. So obviously there's people today that dedicate themselves, like their lives to grapes. They're all about the viticulture and, you know, vineyards and the wine world. And it's a huge world. And it's It's just a different life. It's a different life. But this guy back in like the, let's call it mid to late 1800s at that point is just fascinated by grapes. 
for whatever reason. I'd be really interested to be able to talk to him and be like, so why, why the grape? Why the grape? Like, I, I, I read your quote. I, I love apples, grapefruit. Why? Why the grape? Yeah. Have you ever had a pineapple? <laughs> They're so good. They're delicious. <laughs> so anyways, he's all about the grapes. And this was the first thing where I'm like, okay, that's really odd. But it ultimately serves him well, right? For this specific problem that's going to come up. Like, so it's like, okay, that's the first thing where I'm like, that's destiny, right? That's, there's something to that, why he was so target-oriented on the grape. Later on in his life, Munson moved his family to Denison, Texas in 1876. The reason he did so, it was at the urging of his brother, who was in Denison at the time. His brother was a lawyer and a land spectator, and he touted the region's agricultural potential. For those of you who may not be aware, it's basically north of Dallas on the Red River, right on the border between Texas and Oklahoma. And so when TV got down there with his family, he immediately discovered eight wild grape varieties along the Red River and would later write that he found his grape paradise. Okay. Denison. Denison. Was grape paradise. Along the Red River. He was blown away by, I guess, the natural grape varieties that were growing in the area that had previously been unknown. So interesting fact about Denison, Texas, it was actually established in 1872. So he was a general newcomer to Denison. One of the articles that I read talked about his brother was a big player in the establishment of Denison. So it's at this exact time that they're basically building this up and essentially they have a railroad that's coming into town. So that's another reason why he's like, hey, dude, like you can go on the ground floor of this town. Yeah. Come on out here. And the plus city there's a lot of, of Denison was named after the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad founder and vice president, George Denison. Fast the, fact. The more you know. Immediately upon arriving in Denison, Munson finds these eight grape varieties along the river, right? So soon after that, he's like, I got to go out and see what else is out there. Like, Loves him some grapes. There's grapes here that I don't even know about. I'm later, honey. I'm on the road. I'm going to go <laughs> find me some grapes. So he soon sets out in search of these new varieties, and he scours all of Texas, Mexico, the Indian territories, and ultimately most of North America. Wow. When it's all said and done, it's speculated that Munson traveled over 75,000 miles and would eventually develop 300 grape varieties. Needless to say, this dude loved him some grapes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's finding grape varieties that are native. He's also basically playing with hybrids. So yeah. he's also like developing new strands and new varieties. He ultimately ends up with 300 grape varieties that are Munson vines that are still actually highly sought after. And so 300 don't exist anymore. It's only, it's I think it's closer to like 65 or 70 strands that they still have of his, but there is a institute up in Denison at Grayson College up there where they basically have a, like a Munson Memorial Vineyard. And they still get, they said like, it's like a hundred calls a year or something where people like winemakers are actively trying to wanting that, like wanting a specific Munson vine. vine I yeah. Guess. They're wanting the clippings of one of his strands. We can jest all day long about like this guy was fascinated with grapes but it's just that. It's jesting. Like, thank God there's people out there who have all these different interests and that someone like TV Munson cares enough to, like, spend his life devoted to stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing to I me. I mean, it's not me. No. But thank God there's people out there that do this. 
Yeah, so and I mean, we know how important. I mean, we know how important grapes are to the wine industry. I mean, we're joking a bit. It's a huge, huge industry. And I'm assuming in 1876 in Texas, like people are looking at him, probably like the guy with the first umbrella. Like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> like, why do you have an umbrella? What is that thing over your head? And like, grapes aren't like something that are super sought out here in Texas, mm-hmm. but in Europe, 100% they are. We weren't socialized enough to like experience that industry, except probably for the upper classes of people. And this guy's coming and going, irrespective of the wine industry, I'm fascinated by grapes. And to me, like, salute you, my friend. That is unbelievable. I know. I agree. I, you know, again, it goes back to this whole destiny thing. Like, it's this guy who, for whatever reason, loves the grape, spends his life searching for the grapes, ultimately cultivates hybrid varieties of the grape and is at this moment in time where he's like the leading expert of North American grapes. Wow. In Denison. Because he's traveled all over North America, because he's traveled all over Texas and Mexico and Indian territories. And yeah, and he's residing in Denison, Texas. So to me, I was like, okay, that's another moment where it's almost fate that he moves down to Denison. And then not only that, he falls in love with the area because he calls it his great paradise. He finds all these new varieties, right? And so he scours all of Texas. So not only is he familiar with other areas of North America, but he's familiar. He's intimately familiar with the state of Texas and the great varieties that grow here. And the different types of soil that are here. Yeah, you're exactly right. But I agree with what you're saying with that's one of the reasons why Texas is so great and so unique is the different environments that it has within its borders. Right. And so for the soil, that's exactly dead on. I mean, you have wineries all over the state of Texas. And they all kind of are able to grow different types of varietals because their soils are so drastically different, because their climates are drastically different. And so it's something that you don't really think about, but it 100% plays into this story. And I can see why he would love Texas for grapes, because you would have so many different grape varietals that are growing in all these different regions and climates and and so it's kind of just like this whole ecosystem within just one state you really sound like you know what you're talking about i don't it's it's totally just bs but (laughs) it makes sense to me so let's go with it hey guys ever want to feel like a kid again well we've got the answer for you introducing e-riders the first adult single person electric vehicle these things are badass yes they are electric but crazy powerful rugged sleek and can travel 12 miles on a single charge whether you plan to cruise around the neighborhood in style, ladies, hit the beach, or quietly get in and out of your deer blind, like I do, these fat tire scooters are the way to go. No tax, title, or license required. However you plan to use them, pick up one a day. Support E-Riders, a Texas small business. That's E-R-I-D-E-R-R-S.com. That's right. Two R's in E-Riders. Financing available. Go pick up one today. So when French botanists finally get over to North America and they're now in search of the answer for this phylloxera epidemic over in Europe, and we talked about that their first attempt was unsuccessful. They did find a phylloxera hardy grape root system, Mm -hmm. but the root system wouldn't take in the chalky limestone soil of France. I believe it was specifically like cognac at that point. Well, now we have Mr. T.V. Munson, the leading expert of grapes in North America. And we have this French botanist who's now in North America. And he's led to Mr. T.V. Munson because of his expertise. 
And so now we have this convergence of destiny. We two, have two great minds. Yes. We have this person who is in desperate need of a solution. And we have this other person who is able to provide a, an answer or a solution to that problem. And so Mr. TV Munson, he points the French botanist to some cuttings from the scrubby limestone hills of Bell County, Texas, Mm -hmm. which is just outside Fort Hood or near Fort Hood. Munson recognized that the soil similarities matched very closely with the soil found in France. And when it was all said and done, the French botanist had traveled more than 10,000 miles collecting cuttings from across North America. But the clippings from Bell County, Texas ultimately won out. And were grafted with French grapevines. If you're from Texas, if you can't find limestone, and you know it's going to be in central Texas. Yeah. Right? Like, we have that. Right. So if you have something like that, we've got the answer for that, I believe. Check. Check check mark. We've got that. Yeah. You need phylloxera-resistant vines? Check. Check. You need limestone soil? Check. Check. Yeah, you need some good-tasting... Grapes from Texas? We got that. Check. Check. We got it in spades, man. Man, we got it natural. Just growing. Paradise. Yeah, so obviously the process was successful and was quickly replicated using the native Texas rootstock, saving a range of delicate French varietals, including Cabernet, Merlot, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. Wow. All of them? All of your favorite well-known wines? I'm thinking it's like one wine. It was, dude, it was running rampant. All over Europe. This, you would not have Cabernet, Merlot, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay had it not been for TV Munson and had it not been for Texas grapes. That's amazing. Yeah. So even now, over 100 plus years later, France still grows wine grapes rooted on the descendants of native Texas plants. You're welcome, France. This, to me, is one of the most fascinating stories I think I've done on this podcast. Well, you love it, and I think it's... it's. So by the way... Are you telling me, like, politely, no, it's not that fascinating? <laughs> no, I think it's really fascinating. I think it's one of those things that you are not going to hear in Texas history. I think that if you are snoote, wine connoisseur in mm. Texas, you will probably know this story. Yeah. It's definitely within the wine industry. Isn't Absolutely. It? But we might get some really fancy people starting to listen to us because we're talking about wine. Well, I was doing this because I felt like we needed to elevate our game a little bit. No, 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 I I enjoy the story. But I think it's very interesting. Like, I'd love to see, and, you know, I don't have a map of the world in front of us, but, like, I'm wondering if, like, from a geography standpoint, like, Texas and France are similar. Um, And the only reason I say that is because just thinking of limestone, like, Mm -hmm. how would that play out? But if France really is mostly limestone we're able to help out with that i mean we know texas especially central texas has tons of limestone and if we're able to grow there it just makes sense to me what i do find fascinating is how the rootstock that was used for the wine in france essentially was proliferated through europe and now is used like throughout the world yeah now i don't know if that means that it's specifically texas rootstock that is used all over the world to this day or if it's more so just North American rootstock that they ultimately were able to find in other places or whatever the case is. But it is known that North American rootstock is typically grafted onto grapevines throughout the world because it's a kind of like a preemptive cursor to phylloxera. Like yeah, they, they it feels get ahead of like it our plant. wine, we've, we've been there, done that. Ours is a little bit hardier. Not because obviously France and Europe are way beyond us from a wine standpoint. But like some of the stuff we deal with mildew yeah 
phylloxera yeah. through the grafting, we introduced that to them. So they had to come back to us to almost solve the problem that they introduced into their environment. To begin with. Yeah. And so what's also another really, really just awesome fact here to me is that the wines that are made in Europe, like old world wine, it's so good because the grapes are just beautiful. Like just the grapes in Europe, they've been growing on these vines forever and they've just gotten that process down so well. But it's the climate and it's the soil that really tend to make the grapes what they are and ultimately provide the flavor that everybody loves. That's why that the wine from Europe is so coveted. But think about this. They needed the root stock from Texas or North America for the grapes to survive. So it's not that it's not like we can duplicate or replicate the wine here in the United States because our grapes aren't necessarily as good. Now, people are going to argue with that. I'm sure that there are, obviously, in certain areas. But my point is, like, it you needed the combination of the two. You needed the hardy rootstock system that they were able to get from North America that was resistant to the phylloxera to marry it with the delicate grapes of the vines that were growing over there to create a perfect combination of grape and wine. And so I think that that combination of things is amazing because it wouldn't have... Couldn't have. You couldn't have had it. So when people get snooty about European wines over Texas wines, is it fair that we can say that we saved y'all's asses? Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome, for sure. I think that they probably would disagree. But what's also interesting is TV Munson back in the late 1800s or maybe early 1900s was actually awarded. It was like the highest honor you could be given in France. I was going to ask, did he ever get appreciation for what he did? He did. He 100% did. Like he was basically recognized as the savior of the wine industry in at least France. I don't know what the rest of the world or Europe but he was recognized by the French government, and I, f- I forget the name. I probably couldn't even pronounce it if I, if I knew it. But essentially, it was like a prestigious award slash medal from the French government. Good for him. Yes. He deserves like, it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Not only – I don't know that we can claim T.V. Munson as a Texan. Well, he's not a native Texan, but he's an adopted Texan. Well, and I feel like most people at this point are, right? In the 1800s or whatever, like they moved to Texas. So we'll adopt them and, and gladly put them in the uh, family. Absolutely. But it's also the resources that Texas has to offer. This is just another example of that, which is the native Texas uh, vine that helped save the day here. Real quick, just circling back, I'm I'm in love with the story because of the destiny element where yep. this guy dedicated his life to the grape and was able to ultimately provide the solution to a problem that would have absolutely, if not decimated the wine industry crippled it for generations to come afterwards. So it's not as simple as saying right person, right time, because he really put in the effort for years to do this. And he did not suspect this was going to happen. This is not why he was doing it. And then you put him at the right place in Texas at the right time. And then the problem occurs and he's able to address it. He didn't seek out this. They came and sought him out and he had... You know, so many different types of vines available and saying, I'm sure he had notes because, you know, botanists are, dude. Oh, man. They have soil types, acidity types. They've got, I grafted this with this and I came up with this. It was, and so he said, listen, you're looking for this, that, and that. I got it within these samples here. Go try them out. And voila. I mean, he was the guy. He was the guy. Just because he was fascinated with the grape. 
for no other reason. The fact that he just loved the grape so much, he was the guy. One last note here that I want to point out. A lot of people in Texas or a lot of people maybe around the world don't give the Texas wine industry itself very much credit or love. And I think that even within the Texas wine industry, they probably would agree with that in this in the fact that it was kind of a struggle early on, mm-hmm. right? Growing and, and kind of trying to find its place. But now there's a lot of really good winemakers and wineries in Texas that are crushing it. And when I say crushing it, they're entering their wines into international competitions, not only, you know, here in Texas, but also in California or across the world. And they're winning gold, double gold. I mean, they're they're doing really, really big things. And so just like anything else, I think that we typically try and push on the podcast is really, you know, do yourself a favor and go out and support a local vineyard or a local winemaker in Texas. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool places that you can go. How about we go up to Northwest Texas and go to the Llano Estacado? Yeah. They've got a lot of really great wine up that way. Or right. go to the Texas Wine Trail. Yes. We said Becker's Vineyard at the beginning. Like right. early Unbelievable on. winery. Yep. And there's like a million of them up there. A lot of people love Messina Hof, which isn't too far. It's just, uh, I think, out in like College Station area. High Meadow is doing big things out there in, in High Texas. There's a lot of really, really good winemakers, good wine coming out. I, I highly encourage everybody to, to, to just go out there and support those winemakers because there is some really good wine here locally. Grab your sweetheart. And say, we're going on a road trip. And take her. There's a winery, honest to God. Even mom and pop shop within probably an hour or two of you. No problem. Support your local winery. Get out there. TV Munson. Support TV Munson's legacy. Do it for Texas. Do it for Texas. Go drink some freaking wine. (laughs) (laughs) I love this episode. It's really good. Yeah. This is not what I expected. So when we started, it was like an invasion of Europe. Yeah. Germans. Hitler. Kill them. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, we're talking about wines. It's so, like a little bit of a higher All of a sudden, there. I was drinking. I got my, my pinky out a little bit. I right? saw you. You did have your pinky out there. <laughs> I wasn't sure what you were doing there, but I guess I figured you were uh, kind of getting in the mood. Really good episode. Uh, nothing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I hope everybody else did. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you. All right, friends, that's going to do it for this episode of the Texas Tales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. If you'd like to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at TXTalesPodcast, or you can visit our online store at www.independencetrailretail.com for all things Texas swag. I'm Ryan, and that's Tracy. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.